Corrine, Fjach in the Prague, all of the Wicket of the Varach, Kasho, Achke, Lee, Walker, Picking the Fugtil, McGinn, Apata, Hedja! Hello and welcome to our latest Here We Go podcast, the show by Dons fans, for Dons fans, that will never transfer to a large American sports site and put its stuff behind a paywall. Nor will indulge in what equates to online begging, asking you to contribute to a Patreon or similar. We do this partly out of principle, but also, let's be honest, who's going to pay for this stuff? That said, tonight we've got a guest worth at least a free trial period, if nothing more. It's merchandiser to the stars and programme designer Mark Elric. Evening, Mark. Evening, gentlemen. Thank you for the big build-up. No problem at all. So you're back designing the dance programme again this season for a third season. Um, that first one against the uh, Rops, the GTA Vice City-inspired Granite City, sets a pretty bar, a pretty high bar. I'm going to presume you've already got your eye on some other cultural touchstones to steal. Sorry, I mean inspire for the season ahead. We we, we pay homage here. We don't steal. <laughs> <laughs> we we celebrate. We don't steal, and I don't think I, I don't think the words Grand Theft Auto or Vice City were used in any uh, promotional tweets either. So, so you're safe. You reckon that Rockstar will not <laughs> come after you? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I've, I've heard they can be quite litigious, but I think we've now got a man on the inside. Anyway, uh, then someone who needs no introduction, but insists we give him one anyway. It's uh, Martin Cleary. See you then, Martin. Evening, Richard. Are you fit enough to cope with this two podcasts a week schedule I've got you on, or should I be looking to bring in some extra cover? Um, I think I can cope, as long as we keep the second one to a neat 20 minutes that I'll manage. <laughs> okay, so you get 60 minutes out of your week and that's it, basically. Yeah. Right, on to the visit of everyone's least favourite non-Glasgow side, Hearts. Uh, whilst the exhilaration of Thursday was still keeping the support buoyed ahead of uh, the game, it was perhaps inevitable that there'd be changes to a line-up, and two of them... Uh, James Wilson and Scott Wright came in for Nam again and Ryan Hedges. It's got to be said, Martin, in the sort of hour or so that both of them are on the pitch, I'm not sure if either of them really staked a claim for a first-team berth. No, I don't think they did. On face value, it seemed like fairly, you no, know, fairly obvious. You know, you kind of you, you, you drop those two out and put Wilson in. Wilson, you no, know, we know what he's capable of. You know, we've seen, we've seen, as we said in many other podcasts, we've seen flashes of it last season. And Scott Wright, you know. This is his chance now. He can either go and scramble about in at relegation clubs or he can play big games for Aberdeen, possibly play big games in Europe for us. But neither of them really took it. Now, there was some nice passing from Wilson. Now, he's trying to find balls. He's trying to you know, make some cute passes. I thought, right, can I... I think he got bullied a little bit too much by their midfield um, because that's what their midfield's there for, really. Um, and I don't think he really, uh, really got a... 
a foothold in the game. Wilson did slightly better, but it wasn't really you know, a, a vintage day from either of them. I would have picked those two to come in, if we're being honest, because we knew there was going to be changes anyway. Um, it's just disappointing. No, but there is more to come. We can't keep saying this about James Wilson, though. Um, it's for one thing, no, he's, no, he's he has been here for a year now. Um, he kind of needs to start you know, upping it and showing what he can do rather than just these wee cameos and little nice passes here and there. And uh, Mark, it sounds like the manager would have made more changes if uh, there hadn't been so many niggling injuries around the squad. Craig Bryson missed out on Sunday. Um, he spoke afterwards about Sam Cosgrove wouldn't have started had Curtis Main been fit. Yeah, it's a strange one how you drop drop a player who's just got a hat trick in the European tie. It's, it's a weird one if you would have brought Main in. I mean, you can't you can't question his his starting eleven or or the subs as well. You know, McGinn and Hedges came on and turned it. Um, in a similar way to how uh, Washington and Naismith turned it for Hearts, our subs did a, a great job when they came in. So, and it's a squad, isn't it? You know, so I think you've got to give credit to McInnes for for making those changes. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen much of Maine. Well, none, none of us have seen much of Maine. So, I, I'd stick with the Cosgrove. I know, is, is the jury still out on Cosgrove? Is everyone just loving Cosgrove now, or? Um, I think it's a pretty sullen individual who hasn't at least conceded that uh, he's on a bit of a streak right now and therefore should be playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. So, and, and until he has a stinker or two, then why, why would we start with Maine? Like, Maine can come on for Cosgrove. I don't think it should be the other way around. You wonder, Martin, I, I remember that game, um, we played Sociedad on the Thursday, and then we had done United at home, first game of the season, on the Sunday after that, and we lost 3-0, and he didn't make that many changes to his team, and I think that's really influenced his thinking about these league games in between European games almost ever since, but you, you would kind of hope that on Thursday, for example, the game was done after an hour. It wasn't the same sort of exertion, it wasn't the same sort of effort that had gone into uh, trying to claw back with deficit against Sociedad. No, it wasn't. Um, but I think that he probably saw and realised that um, that Hearts were going to be, you know, a, a, a really, you know, a really. He- it was going to be heavy going at times. You know, there was going to be lots of. It was going to be physical. Um, and you're right. So he could, he probably could have. You know, after an hour, made you no know, made made the three the three changes and just rested people, and we could have gone into into proper game management mode instead. I you know we did still kind of we were still kind of pushing even though the game was dead. I, I think you're right to mention. I mean, obviously, thanks for bringing up that that, that the memory of that three 0 defeat to Dundee United is is a really great one. Um, no, it was, it was lots of it was lots it was lots of fun thinking you no know, thinking after that game of what have we got here about Ash Taylor? Yeah, um, that was his domestic. Debut. Was, was, I, yeah. I remember as soon as you said it, I had horrible, <laughs> horrible flashback. Just after the game, thinking, what have we, what have we got ourselves in for here? But yeah. it it was different. It was different yesterday, I think, because you know, I think we started off we started off really well, but we needed to start off well because you know, hearts are going to be in your face and they're going to be difficult. Give the, if you give them an inch, they're going to take the full mile. I thought we I thought we started off really brightly. I thought we started off really well. Hearts did what Hearts are going to do, um, and we just tried to play football around them. No disrespect to some of the lower teams in the league. Had it been a Hamilton or someone like that, then he probably would have made more changes and he would have brought in some of the younger lads. But you, with with a team like Hearts, you're, you can't just chuck in some young lads and let them be bullied. Well, let's talk about a young lad, um, Mark. You didn't make it onto the pitch, but uh, young Calvin Ramsey 
16 years and 4 days old and he's in a matchday squad. Almost certainly the youngest player to have ever been in a Dons matchday squad. Can you remember what you were doing at 16 years and 4 days old? It certainly wasn't preparing for a first team match against Hearts. I'm certainly not prepared to discuss that. (laughs) (laughs) There's something else for the boy, you know what I mean? Definitely. And I heard that they've wanted to get him in sooner but they had to wait for his 16th birthday so he could get a place on the bench. Um, yeah, amazing, fantastic. I assume he'll be going to Croatia. He might He might even play, who knows? McInnes is at pains to point out afterwards uh, that uh, it's very much that he was there on merit. And he does seem to have leapfrogged, I don't know what the injury situation is, on Mikko Vertinen, but he was kind of the, the favoured right-back cover in the uh, squad last season. He does seem to have leapfrogged him in the last couple of weeks. Well, not even that, since Wednesday when he turned 16. So, so pretty meteoric rise for him. And... Um, Obviously, encouraging in one respect that he's prepared to to put young lads like that in the team, in and around the team. Uh, but obviously, a worry that you know we are so stretched thinly uh, defensively, Mark. And we'll we'll talk more about how some developments might leave us even even worse off. Yes, I'm sure we will. So, Martin, we did start off playing a back five. For me, it wasn't really necessary because Hearts really just relied mainly on Ekpiezu up front. And also it seemed to me to negate Fonzo Ojo's um, time on the ball and his influence from midfield. You also got a sense, some of his tackles, some of his challenges, that Ojo's a man who will definitely pick up a red card or two this season. There's absolutely no question of that. He's definitely going to... I was worried yesterday. There was a point where I thought he was off, He was going to get sent off as well. Um, I think he'd kind of... I think he'd, it was the second half. He'd kind of not retaliated, but he was very he was very late with a little a little niggly one. Rather than criticising Hart's play yesterday, I think we probably should criticise the referee for totally losing, you know, just losing track of the game. Um, you know, you see we got four bookings somehow in that game. Yeah, he started off. Uh, he, he didn't. He didn't seem to be in the game at all. I think that you know we just seemed to we seemed to crowd. It. I thought we kind of crowded ourselves out at the start because all they really had was like you say, Igbeza up there. Just kind of being physical, trying to trying to win, trying to win free kicks, um, and we didn't get the ball to him. I thought I kind of thought at the start as well. I thought Ferguson suffered suffered the same as well until we got the goal. At least um, we didn't really see see anything from them. McInnes said Derek's got to try something, maybe trying something different. Um, but we did. We were trying to play football, which was the thing. You know, it's a it's a way of, way of contact contradicting what Hearts do. But at that beginning part of the game, yeah, Ojo, and like I say, I thought Ferguson didn't really get into it as well. Yeah, well, as much as we did try and keep it down on the deck for most of the game, and, and certainly the lead-up to the second and then the third goal uh, shows that. The first goal was very much route one. Mark, who are you giving the assist to here? Are you giving it to Andy Considine, or are you giving it to Chris Berra's beautifully judged header? I'd, I'd give it to uh, the veteran Christoph Berra. Uh, what vision? What vision? <laughs> Just for the right pace to set Sam Cosgrove through. It was perfect, wasn't it? It was perfect. And here's the the really telling difference that even though it was a very acute angle, you just kind of expected it to score, didn't you? It's a great finish, isn't it? You know, it's uh, it, it's perfectly placed. As Lamal has no chance at that. Cosgrove's already away from Berra. He has time to think about it. And, and it, it's the right choice to make as well, which I think is important. Uh, he may have went for a pass. He may have squared it. May might have done that. Wilson may have done that. Players lacking a little bit of confidence. But uh, Cosgrove went for it. He had nothing kind of lose, I suppose, at that point either. 
Yeah, we said a lot on here, Martin, about uh, Sam Cosgrove uh, already this season, but uh, uh, th- that's the finish of a man in with total confidence right now. Oh, absolutely was. It's a finish of a man who made me made me look like a complete dick after my comments last week as well, <laughs> where I said where I said that you know when he has time to think about what he's doing, that's when things struggle. Um, you know, he had you know he had plenty of time there. Pick his spot, pick his spot in the, the the far corner of the net as well. And it was what a, what a finish, uh, and absolutely brilliant from him. Delighted to see that. And then after the goal, we've, we have a really good 10-15 minutes. We don't really create a great deal, though. There's John Gallagher's couple of long-range efforts. I mean, before the goal, we've got James Wilson's miss after a very well-worked short corner. But we did struggle to, to really create openings of quality against the 11 men. But you never felt that we weren't in control of the game. Um, are you a bit, just a bit disappointed we didn't really kick on from, from the early start? So as, as the game, once you go 1-0 up... It hearts started. You know, we're getting even closer. You know, we're they're breaking the game down even more. We just didn't deal with that. Which you know, it'd be very easy to come on here. We've I've done it before. We, we moan about hearts and we moan about how they play. Uh, but it's up to us to 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 counteract that. Um, you know, we know what we're going to get from them. That's why, you no, know, when we when we were kind of previewing it last week, it was like we know what it's going to be like. It's going to be physical, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. The manager knows that. The player knows that. Know that. And so it should be, we should be able to kind of to counteract what they do because we know fine they're going to try and stop us playing football and they're going to try and win fouls and they're going to you no know, they're going to keep the game you no know, niggly and very stop start and we we once we went one lot we allowed that to happen um, up until up until you know, the the end of the first half I thought that they actually kept they were into the coming into the game much much more um, and we we I think that's because we allowed them into the game not to make excuses but you know. A couple of the players did look did look started to look really fatigued even in the first half, and obviously that's a concern. I think it's probably more than that, Mark, isn't it? It's the fact that we let the game become the sort of game Hearts wanted to make it that sort of niggly stop start, them winning fouls in the halfway line, which was kind of more or less their key attacking uh, threat for the first hour, uh, and it just descended into that, descended into the sort of game they wanted it to be. It's really difficult to play against that, though, isn't it? And that's that is Hart's main strength. They will disrupt it. They will stop the flow that it looks like this Aberdeen team are going to thrive on. So I'm not entirely sure how you kind of you you get past that. I suppose you've got to pass quicker. You've got to think faster. You've got to move quicker. But it's really difficult to play against Hearts and a Levine team. You know, it's really difficult to play against these hammer throwing. Dirty play, and it, Martin said there earlier as well as kind of their their tactic is to be physical and win free kicks. That that kind of they don't go together. How can you be both those things? But Hearts have always been like that, and especially under someone like Levine. First hour or so passes again. There's not really much happening at either end. It's been very much contested in the middle. Silly free kicks after silly free kicks. I think there was forty in total in the match. Hearts make a double change when Connor Washington and uh, the wee rat face himself, uh, Stephen Naismith. And uh, we lose the equaliser. Ojo wins the header from a long throw, but manages to knock it off the uh, challenging Hearts player. And uh, Lewis Ferguson doesn't uh, match Naismith's run, and he's able just to, to knock it in quite nicely, it has to be said, past Joe Lewis. And the manager afterwards, Martin, was quite unhappy that one of his centre-halves wasn't challenging for the initial high ball. It is one of those where you expect your centre-half to really 
stamp his authority on the proceedings. I mean, you could say that, yeah. I suppose you're looking for you're looking for one of the big lads to come out and just just you know, win it and get get it out and probably you know get it out the box at least anyway, whether it goes out for no. A loose ball or goes out for a throw, um, so th- that is disappointing. There's an, el- I mean, I think there's a there's a huge element of luck comes from it as well. You know, there's a bit of the, the pinball of it hitting off the Hearts guy um, is 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 frustrating. Um, very little you can you can do with that. Um, but yeah, Naismith reacted reacted quickly. He reacted first. Um, you know, Ferguson kind of caught napping again, um, and so the manager is quite right to be unhappy. I mean. You know, and Naismith up was probably I think that was maybe his, his, was was it his first touch, maybe his second touch of the ball, which is so 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 annoying to see that. But you know, Levine, you know, he does he does that, doesn't he? He you know he beat us in, tried to beat us into submission with that that brand of football, and then after sixty eight minutes or whatever it was, an hour, he puts on you know Washington and Naismith, who as much as I dislike both of them, are actually pretty decent players. Um, and know, and I know it goes it goes against every fibre of Craig Levine's DNA to actually play football players. Um, but no, that's what he does. He sticks on sticks on those two guys who are capable of who are capable of actually getting the ball down and doing stuff. And you know, while it was you know, from a from a kind of, of our own our own doing the first one, Naismith is clever enough. He's been you no, know, he's been there and done it, done it in you no know, in Scottish football certainly anyway. And he reacts first. And you know, it's maybe a bit of naivety from Ferguson. He needs to know if he needs to be tracking guys like that. And we then uh, lose control of the game completely. Um, Washington shoots into the side netting. Um, we're starting to make errors, losing our shape. And that's, I think, best epitomised, Mark, by the second goal, where both our centre midfielders, Ferguson and Ojo, are, are drawn out to the ball in schoolboy football fashion, trying to close down the ball rather than holding their position, holding their shape. Naismith spots the gaps, is able to play a ball inside to Ikpezu, who has got the freedom of the centre of the pitch to run at our centre half and actually picks out a, a decent ball to a good run by, by Jamie Walker, who finishes well. Walker, who had done nothing all game. And it, at that point, it's looking like all, for all the world, we're going to get beat on the opening day. We've lost a few goals like that, though. Like, it's a bit of a pet hate of mine, that, that kind of through ball. It's like a nothing ball. It's the simplest ball to play. You should be able to pick that up. But we've, we've lost a goal... Did we not lose a goal like that, similar to Rops? I think they had a, a good chance in the first half, Rops, and it didn't happen. Lewis is shouting at McKenna and Devlin, and I'm sure their goal here came from a similar sort of scenario. Last season it happened too, so that needs to be kind of, it definitely needs to be rubbed out of our game. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is just a bit of disorganised five minutes, a mad five minutes where you're just not thinking or you've switched off. But it's happened more than once, and I hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah, because I, I think the attraction of a lot of people about Ojo was that we were told he was he was a guy who was going to keep his position, keep his shape, just keep things ticking over in the centre midfield. And it, it is quite amateur to be for both of them in particular to be drawn out uh, to the right hand side of the pitch at that point when we were vulnerable. Clearly, having just lost the goal at that point. The momentum's all going one way, but we do very well to wrestle it back. For the second goal, for the incident that leads up to um, the free kick that Hickey gets sent off for, it comes from their corner, their set piece. Um, we break, we break quite quickly. It looks like we've lost the impetus. Now I'm again, instead of charging forward and trying to pick out maybe one man back against four, he cuts inside. 
exchanges passes with Logan, makes a smart run towards the touchline. And it just shows the benefit of, of always trying to play football, always trying to be creative, rather than trying to be rushed, rather than trying to just force things, just play football, make the runs, and something will happen. What that showed as well, like how how Megan won that won that foul as well, and you know they got the guy the second Hickey the second yellow card. That was always coming. As soon as he was heading down there, you just you, you felt that Hickey Hickey's going to foul him. It's it's coming, and that's no that's McGinn's kind of that's the football intelligence that he has, that he's capable of that. You know, he was obviously he was waiting for some support as well coming in. And but, but it was the guy's. It's a young. It's a young player. You know, he's going to make rash rash decisions. He's going to do things like that. You know, I'm sure we'll see some of our young players do do, do very similar. You know, we saw it last season with Lewis Ferguson, for example. Uh, but McGinn, you know, just just drew him in. You know, just gave him the time. Gave it, and he just he came in. It was a total. You know, it was a total stupid thing. Stupid thing for the for Hickey to do as well. Uh, wins it. We, we, we win that free kick. He gets himself sent off. And you know it comes from there, where and we are immediately back in the game. But that one defensive mistake wouldn't have been enough to turn things. We benefited from a second one within sixty seconds because the free kick we take, Mark, it's a little bit predictable. Um, Hart sense what's happening; they get men out, but Dickamora just plows into Nam again, who wasn't going anywhere. Thank you very much. We'll take that every day. I'm not sure if it is predictable. You don't you don't often see a free kick like that from that position. I mean, they definitely don't deal with it well. And you know, thank you very much. But I, I don't know if I buy it. It's, it's predictable. It's it's an maybe it's an easy pass to make. It's an easy free kick. But I don't know about predictable. I just felt that the the Hearts events had read it. They'd seen it coming. And yeah, McGinn didn't really have anywhere to go with the ball if he was gonna if he was gonna control it. I'm not quite sure what what the whether the plan was for him to get a shot away straight away or, you know, what was actually going to happen. Two pretty elementary defensive mistakes in the, in the space of about 60 seconds. So it comes to our benefit. We'll take it. Sam Cosgrove does the job from the spot that he's been doing since uh, last December. It's 2-2. And, OK, every home team in this circumstance does this. But, you know, there was five or six Aberdeen players after that penalty kick Rushing to get that ball out of the net, get the game restarted, get going again, wasn't it, Martin? Oh, there was. Yeah, I mean, the game was. You know, when you're playing against ten men, you know, the games, the game was there to be won. Um, you know, you would expect that Hearts are going to try and just shut the game down. You know, they've, they were, they, they had the lead. They've, you know, they've thrown that away. They've down, they've lost a man as well, and so you think that, you know. You know, this is let's just get this game shut down. But no, Aberdeen are there. We want to win games. You no, know, a point at home. Isn't good enough. It's it's great to see that. You know, you would expect it anyway, though. But it's it's great to see that. You know, the guys that are like chasing after ball. Let's get this. Let's get this going because the game was absolutely one hundred percent there to be won as soon as we as soon as that penalty went in, and quite rightly they're chasing after it. And the winner mark uh, again. I, I think it it's great football. It really is. We three kick deep in our own half. Played out wide to McKenna. McKenna finds Greg Lee. And as the manager rightly pointed out, it would have been easy for Greg in the 86th minute, playing his first full 90 minutes of the season, to look for the simple pass inside or try and launch it long towards Cosgrove. Except he motors his way past uh, past Jamie Walker. And, well, we'll let you take it up from there. He looks a player, though, doesn't he, Greg Lee? He looks a player. McGinn plays it back. Whether he's kind of trying to set himself up or whether he's setting up hedges... 
maybe maybe we can ask Mr McGinn that one day, but uh, I, I think he's wanting to keep it himself and he doesn't quite control it the way he wants to, but it's to hedge his benefit. And, yeah, I doubt we'll see more composed, thunder bastard of a shot from uh, 10 yards, I suppose, you know? There's a lot of venom behind him. He's done well, basically, not to really snatch at it. He's done well to have an element of control over it, definitely. Especially when the body's flying in to try and block it. Uh, but, you know, crucially, he gets there ahead of... I mean, Naismith is kind of ball-watching a little bit on the edge of the box. It's quite... I mean, it's understandable we've got three or four men in, in the area at that time trying to win it. But I'm quite surprised that Hearts only had three or four back themselves. It wasn't as if it came from a quick break. But yeah, tremendous goal, and Martin, the atmosphere in the ground when that went in, those last 10 minutes, it, the old girl was rocking, wasn't she? It's, are there something about these late goals in, in you know, season openers that just does it, I think? Obviously, we really, really don't like Hearts, which help as well. Though. So no, a winner against them is always good, but the atmosphere was, was, was fantastic. Stirred up by you know the, the way the game had gone, you take the lead, then you... you, you if, if we're being honest, I think we, th- we, th- we threw the lead away. To come back like that in what in what had been at points a bit of a niggly game, Craig Levine make, has made himself a bit of the pantomime villain when he plays us as well. I was looking forward to coming on here and just you know, absolutely eviscerating him and stuff and that, but it's like <laughs> no, you know what? There's, there's no there's no point. You know, you know what you're gonna you know what you're gonna get from them. Um, I, I know, I'm not quite going to build the case for the defence of Craig Levine by any stretch of the imagination, but he's turned he's turned hearts into that team that we we love getting results against. When that goal goes in, you know, that that noise, you know, the clip the clip that's going around on social media without the, without any commentary on it, and you see it as soon as they start the noise when the ball is like lashes against the net and that eruption uh, eruption from the crowd is just just fantastic. You know, I must have watched it about fifty times today already. It's not just the fans, is it, Mark? Who like beating Hearts? The management team are, are quite happy to beat them as well. Definitely, you can see that. You can see. It. I haven't I haven't seen uh, McInnes's uh, post match interview, but um, I'm sure he'd have loved it. And there is that kind of, as Martin says, pantomime villain. And 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 for him to, to be like that, McInnes has to play his part as well. You know, so it is good to get one up on him. Just a small caveat, Martin. Obviously, Ryan Hedges left the pitch to celebrate the winner. Picked up a yellow card because that's the rules, isn't it? If you, if you want to moan about the referee, you know when Hearts got the sit there, their second. Um, I think that Walker kind of it go off the edge of the pitch. Are you going to book him? He, sh- he, sh- he shouldn't have been booked either. No, I was people screaming for him to be booked because he was at the at the crowd and stuff. You don't want that. You know, you want to have emotion at football. Football. What happens? You know. If you're no, are we all just going to sit around and applaud nicely and be friends? No, that's no, that's what they do at rugby. Um, no, we need to have emotion <laughs> at football. No, the guys, no, the players running towards the fans is exactly what you want to see. Um, and no, it's an, it's the rules. I get that, but of all the of all the minor rules that need to be gotten rid of, that is that's definitely one. If you can't run towards your own fans, I don't know what you can do. See, that's the thing there as well. He's running towards his own fans. He's embracing our own fans. He's not doing anything violent. He's not doing anything derogatory. He's not helicoptering around the pitch or anything like that. He's 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 celebrating with his own team and his own his own fans. Naismith, when he scores, he, he's straight up to the family stand. He's up to the main stand. What is it with with Huns and former Huns doing that? Morella's done it last year. Uh, Chris Boyd used to do it all the time. He, he's he's picking fights with the family stand and Sweetie Rustlers in the main stand. If you're going to book a player, that's the player that gets booked, not the player who jumps the advertising hoardings and has a bosey with these uh, fans. 
Okay, but however, of course, there's no booking if your support destroys a disabled section. Just want to make that clear. That's obviously in the SPFL rules this season. No booking for leaving the pitch if your support destroys a disabled seeing section. Um, so, a real feel-good factor around the club on Sunday um, after the results on Thursday and the comeback win against Hearts until this morning. Now, Scott McKenna... Transfer request apparently handed in at the weekend. If we believe it was handed in on Saturday, Mark, there isn't any question that if he's still here on Thursday that he should play in Croatia, is there? McKenna, if he if he's still here, come or come tomorrow, I think the team fly out. Uh, if he's still an Aberdeen player on Thursday, surely he plays. Yeah, I think we could beat Rijeka without McKenna. I'm not sure if we could beat Rijeka without two fit centre-backs. That's that's the problem that I would have if McKenna was to leave before Thursday. Yeah, but I mean, if you recall back, and obviously it's a very different team this time, but uh, four years ago, the centre-half pairing was actually Andy Considine and Ash Taylor. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> but Martin, I'd, this feels a bit just odd because the calibre of the clubs that have been noted with an interest so far this summer, they're... Championship teams, and they're not really championship teams that you would pick to be in and amongst the promotion chase this season. They're not ones awash with money. It just feels a bit curious. I mean, sure, QPR, Forest, etc., they'll offer him more money than he's on right now, no doubt about it. But is this really the right move for him right now? Uh, personally, I, I, I would say no, um, and that's that's not. Try to take my Aberdeen hat off as well. You know, trying to be just kind of sensible about it. You know, I think Forest finished ninth in the championship last year. QPR finished nineteenth. Um, now, yeah, there's money in the money in English football is mental. You'll go, he could go down there. You know, quadruple his wages or whatever, um, and that's that's all well and good. But <clears throat> both those clubs have had you know pretty pretty you no know, serious financial difficulties in you know, in in recent memory. Um, you know, you can. I suppose you could say that you no know, Forest can attract him with you no know, look at the history we have and all that kind of stuff, but they have had some serious financial difficulties, you know, in the in the last few years. And yeah, I understand you know, like football, it could be a short career and all that kind of stuff. But you've got to be a bit, you've got to be clever, and you've got to be a bit, you know, a bit wise about where you go. Um, you look at you know good players that have gone gone down to England and perhaps you know, struggled. Um, and ended up, you know, they find themselves find themselves back up back up here and not really having having impressed. It's a case of, you know, do you want to do you want to win trophies and play, you know, potentially win trophies with Aberdeen and play in Europe um, and you know in in what is you know, what despite what people might tell you the Europa League is, you know, it's still quite a glamorous tournament certainly for teams of Aberdeen's level. Or do you want to go and play in the play in the, Eng, the English lower leagues, which the Championship is? Where you're, you know, you're, you're looking for oh, once a year you might get drawn against Man United in the FA Cup, or you no, know, like these guys that go to League One and League Two, and they're co- they're competing for whatever the Johnston's Paint Trophy is now and all that. Anthony O'Connor. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, so sorry. Look at guys like Anthony O'Connor have gone down. All these kind of guys. No, I mean if he goes to QPR, he's going to be playing. You know, you'd think he'd be <laughs> glad to see the back of Dominic Ball. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to sign for QPR and be playing with him again. I know. Maybe, maybe they just really like each other. I'm sure there'll be roomies if he goes there, but I think it just QPR and Forest are just really two two kind of head scratchers. Um, I mean, he's he's a he's a better player than that. Um, definitely, you know, there's there are far better teams in the Championship alone that would be more attractive options for him. But I guess that's the two that have the two that have you know apparently made bids. 
um, we'll just have to see what comes. It's quite the cough you've got there, Mike. I hope it gets better soon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So they've been talking before the Scott McKenna news broke that um, the club would be looking to bring in another defender ahead of the deadline for adding two extra wildcards to the uh, Europa squad list on Wednesday evening. That becomes all the more crucial when we consider the other options for Thursday, doesn't it, Mark? I mean, Michael Devon looks unlikely to be back fit. Ash Taylor is definitely going to be out. You are banking, as you said earlier, on Scott McKenna now. If he doesn't make it, we literally have Andy Considine, and that is it for centre-half options. I like, I like Andy Considine at centre-half. I think, I think you probably need somebody next to him, though, to, <laughs> to cope with uh, Rijeka. And, and, and we don't have anybody. You know, like, we've spoken, and I've listened to podcasts, and it's all about how, you know, we're attacking well, we're scoring goals, we're, we're this bit. This problem at the back here needs to be sorted and uh, I'm sure McInnes has irons and fires and all that sort of stuff and and whether something can happen before Wednesday uh, I suppose we have to wait but I think that was always meant to be the case we're always kind of wanting that extra defender in for cover well that extra defender for cover now is, is going to start on Thursday should McKenna go but I have a, I have a bit of a problem with McKenna he signed a, he signed a four year contract last year a lengthy contract March so, last year, yeah. March last year. So it's disrespectful, isn't it, though, to suddenly hand in a transfer request with three days left to go, or if it was Saturday, still within like a week of the English transfer deadline and with the biggest game of our season, granted we're only, you know, six games in, but before a crucial European tie. And I like Scott McKenna. I like him as a player, I, I know him a little bit. He's always very respectful. He's 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 a good lad, but you know there is this kind of there's a there's a is there a disrespect in there to do this? The timing absolutely stinks. There's no doubt about it. From a club's point of view, the timing stinks. From a player's point of view, does he truly believe that his career is going to stagnate or suffer if he has to spend another six months at Aberdeen? If the if the deals if the right deal for him isn't going to go through by Thursday at 5pm or whenever the English window closes but That's kind of kind of my point though He signed a four year contract So you should think Right I'll, I'll stay here until I'm 25, 26 Then I'll get a big move and I'll do that And I know anything can happen in a game You know he can, he can do his cruciate He can do whatever But he signed that contract To say he should be here for four years And I'm assuming it was the same agent he's with now Who got that four year deal and I'm assuming this agent has something to do with the transfer request going in too. So if, if he does believe that Aberdeen would be holding back his progression, he shouldn't have signed that lengthy a contract last year. From, you know, reading between the lines and, you know, the sort of friends of McInnes who always seem to happen to speak to, Chris, uh, to, speak to Keith Jackson, um, <laughs> then it, it sounds like McInnes is furious with the agent, um, perhaps less so with Scott himself. It's, uh, it, it is a bit of a gut punch, Martin, isn't it? I mean, this isn't a guy that we've brought in from somewhere else. He's been with a club all the way through from the age of about 11 or 12. And, uh, I, is it just the fact that we have to accept there isn't any loyalty in football, so everybody is out for themselves ultimately? I mean, it certainly looks that way. Um, you know, I mean, the only the only loyalty in football is is from Andy Constantine, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
the rest of them, the rest of it doesn't look that way. Um, it's it's really disappointing. It was still twenty minutes after the kind of this the story broke on social media already. You know, most people had turned on him um, and decided oh, he was a he was a rat and a traitor and he's no all this kind of stuff and. I, I would like I would I would like to you know maybe you know, quite naively think that this is this is kind of agent, the agent talking say, you know, saying to him look you know you could have gone to Villa I know Villa are in the Premier League now you'll know you'll, you'll, I don't doubt that you'll still talk to guys like Madison and Kenny McLean they'll be you know they'll be you'll be looking at them saying they're they're in the Premier League as well that could have that could have been him probably very easy to have your have your head turned that way um, but you know he didn't get the chance to, he didn't go to Villa you no know, and. So scrambling around for like again mid-level championship clubs isn't really the way to isn't really a way to kind of build your, build your career. I mean, it's just it's disappointing because I mean, you know, like Mark says there, you no, know, um, a couple of times, no, I, I can't once once say I to know him. I've met him once or twice, and he seemed very nice for the you know, the ten fifteen minutes I I got to speak to him. But it just. It's really does it really leaves a sour taste in the mouth, and I kind of I'd like to think that this is this is any this is the kind of agent pushing him for this, but you're right, it's disrespectful, and it shows that it shows that there really there really isn't loyal in football. I think I've said on here before that you know you know fans want to win trophies. Um, I I genuinely think that you know your majority of footballers don't really care about trophies. It's more about you know this is their career, it's their job, um, and it's it's about it's about making money, um, and. I don't think they, they really anybody cares about winning things and playing in Europe and stuff like that. It's it's just a bit of cash, isn't it? There is a bit of that. There is an element of that. I, I, I do think though that footballers want success. They do want to win trophies. They do want to win leagues. I mean, we're saying, or I was saying as well. You know, it, it, is it disrespectful? But you've also said McKenna has been here since eleven. You know, he's not from Aberdeen. He's been here for ten years, eleven years. Maybe he does see his time. Is, is about now to move on. But my problem is with the four-year contract that the agent will have uh, facilitated and got a little kickback from, and then, oh, well, now the agent will do this, and he'll get a little kickback on that. And, you know, I, I don't know who his agent is either, and this is all speculation. But, um, yeah, it does just seem a bit disrespectful. Martin, has it really changed the landscape that much still in terms of uh, the balance of power? Other than perhaps souring the relationship between Scott McKenna and the Aberdeen support almost inevitably, has it really changed the fact that the club are still going to wait until they have an offer that is acceptable to them? Uh, it doesn't change anything at all. I mean, I think I think you know, it was you know, there's was quotes been attributed to Derek McInnes from today already, um, and we've heard it before that. Until they get the until they get the offer that they feel of what the what the player is worth, um, then the bids are going to be turned down. It was the rumor was, of course, that it was QPR and Forest putting a bid of three million pounds, and the club tur- the club turned it down flat. Which for a guy who you know has been you know has has international caps, you know he's been international captain, um, you know he's been a pretty much an ever present for Aberdeen, played in Europe. Um, yeah, that's a that's an insulting fee, um, and if if. The player or his agent thinks that you no, know, why don't it's taken the why don't you just let me go attitude, and that is really disappointing. Um, simple fact is, you no, know, like like Mark says, he signed a four-year contract. There's absolutely no way the club are going to just make him stay for that four years and have him sitting sitting in the reserves or something like that. That's obviously not going to happen. There is going to be if if he really takes the huff, there will obviously be a compromise. Um, but the club quite rightly are I don't have have invested a lot of money in Scott McKenna and are wanting you know, a, a serious a serious fee for him and as as they quite rightly should. 
Yeah, and it's still going to be the case, Mark, isn't it? That English clubs are going to try and lowball non-Celtic or the Rangers Scottish clubs. Uh, they they don't think twice of it shelling out 20 million quid for a guy from Bristol City whose previous career is 50 games at Bristol and 50 games at Oxford. But when it comes to an established Scotland international playing in Europe, playing week in, week out for a team challenging at the right end of the table, three millions are offer. You've seen it time and time again. And I don't think the Celtic and Rangers are adverse to that either. Like if you look at Van Dijk, you know, the, the, the amount of money that they got uh, when he moved to Southampton wasn't, you know, it was, it's eclipsed by what Liverpool paid. The same happened with Robertson going to Hull. Um, I think you've got to be able to prove yourself on a certain stage. I, th- I think Scottish football isn't that stage to be able to warrant this mega bucks that, that comes out. Um, but Martin's right, he's, he's been Scotland captain. He will be Scotland defender for as long as he's playing football. He'll, he'll go on to win 100 caps. He'll probably play in the English Premiership. I just don't think that it's all going to kind of come from what happens in August 2019. Okay, well, I think there's a lot still to be written and still to be played out in the case of Scott McKenna. You know, I, I hope it doesn't lead to to a situation where the guy plays for us on Thursday and obviously here until January at the very least, and um, you know has to deal with six months of abuse. So I hope we can we can get beyond that. But uh, I hope he doesn't. I, I sincerely hope he doesn't get abuse, and that isn't what I'm saying about it being disrespectful. I just there is a there is a hint of that, and I, I don't I don't want. Banners and booing and, and whatever you know. If if nothing comes to pass and he's still here, then brilliant. I don't think McKenna's the type of person who would down tools either. I think he will still be putting a shift in. That's Scott McKenna. As I say, that's kind of disrupted what was a, a, a genuine feel good factor around the club for the first time. God knows how long. Uh, but in, we can't <laughs> have nice things. They can only last for six days tops. Eh, Martin? Yeah, absolutely. All, that's all you get. <laughs> Uh, but Thursday night, with or without Scott McKenna, Aberdeen returned to the Croatian coastal town of Rijeka uh, to meet a team who they knocked out of the Europa League in the second qualifying round in 2015. However, obviously, it's going to be a different tie altogether from then. Rijeka have a different manager, both teams are very different squads. Hell, Rijeka even have a different stadium where we'll be playing. What is important to note, though, is four years ago, and for most of the period around then, they went toe-to-toe with Dinamo Zagreb for the Croatian title, uh, beating the team from the capital once to the championship. But last season, they did again finish second, but they were 25 points back from the league winners. There's no denying, uh, Mark, that Croatian football is on a high. The, the national team reached the... Reached the World Cup final, obviously, famously, um, just the other year. However, domestically, uh, there are two other representatives in the Europa League already out. One of them losing to a team from Malta and um, one of them going out in the, qual- in the second qualifying round. So, so maybe we've got a decent chance here, eh? I hope so. I hope so, clearly. Um, like My creation football knowledge is uh, sparse, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I did have a feeling when it was drawn that uh, Rijeka weren't the team that they were in 2015. I also thought we weren't the team that we were in 2015. Um, but maybe the last few performances has kind of made me a 
bit more confident about going into Thursday's game. Let's just play Ash Taylor and Constein at the back and it will fear Rayeka. I do completely understand that Ash Taylor is injured. But let's play him anyway. <laughs> what harm can it do? Martin Rijka have started their league season. They've won three from three in the league. Um, but they are going to go cold into European competition. They they were exempt from the first two qualifying rounds. Is that any sort of an advantage for Aberdeen? I don't really, I don't really think so. I mean, you know, we've obviously played, you know, we've played you know, the, the two rounds already. I mean, the only thing you could say is they've played three games um, and we've played, what, five. So that's all there really is. I mean, I don't think there's they're going to be any less, you know, prepared for football. Than, than we would be, I think. I think it'll probably be evenly matched, and yeah, they're they're clearly not. I don't think they're anywhere near what they were. Um, I can't pretend that I've watched loads and loads of coverage of them to be able to tell you, you know, tell you where no where they where they're now weaker. Um, but you know, they're clearly not they're clearly not as, as strong as they were, which is something that hopefully you know we can we can take advantage of. Again, it's just the thing of you go you go over there, you know. You just need to we just need to be be prepared, be ready to be ready to be. Um, as 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 physical perhaps maybe or as or you know, as clever as we've been in the previous games where let's not throw no let's not throw away silly goals like we did against did against Rops um you know let's just try and try and play a bit of football and hopefully you know fingers crossed we can get it done. And whilst I appreciate the lineup might dictate this, Mark, what should the strategy be? I mean, should it be to to try and protect a clean sheet or should we try and be a bit more expansive and really try and force the away goal? We can do both, can't we? We won three 0 last time over there. Why? Why can't we do both? Is that your prediction? Three 0 again? Oh, I didn't say that. All I'm saying is that <laughs> oh, David is yeah. coming in. Oh, dinner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think go for goals. Last time we won three 0 over there, and it came back. It was two two here. Is that right? Yep. So it, had we just went for the paramount clean sheet, we would have been out that year. I think the other thing to say is three know it was last time, but we spent the first twenty minutes of that tie getting absolutely battered, Martin. If you yeah. remember, yeah, we did. I there is a real danger that they have the players, they have the technical ability that could just blow us away. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, you you need to keep it. It's no, it's the oldest kind of the oldest cliche in football is you just keep it tight for the first fifteen twenty minutes. Um, you know, I think they hit the post. Um, and there was a couple of good saves as well. I, I guess it's no. You go over there. You just you try not to concede. Um, and if you know if you can get one goal, brilliant. If you can get any more than one, even better. I mean, I suppose there's no. If we can just make it to the first water break, then I think. We'll be fine. <laughs> I was just thinking that yeah, we were we were <laughs> under the caution until the first water break, and then we, we just should, uh, destroyed them. We should be fine if we get if we can get to there, we'll be we'll get there, we'll get it, no problem. And start Ash Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> even if he's on crutches. Even if he's on crutches. So, without tempting fate too much, the uh, playoff round draw was actually made today. So, Raika or Aberdeen will face, well, probably the, the pairing that we would have picked out of the hat, to be honest. Um, AEK Larnaca of Cyprus or Ghent of Belgium. Martin would be clear underdogs, there's no disputing that. We're underdogs against Raika, but uh, it's not the worst draw, is it? If you offered us that, they would take it. It's still going to be really, really difficult. Um, you know, they're they're going to be de- they're going to be decent sides, and they're going to be a step up. They're going to be a step up from Rijeka. 
never mind never mind anything else we've played we've played the previous rounds they're going to be a step up so it just it comes it just needs to be the upper level um, and it's the, it's the same in no previous years no last year was last year was no really unlucky you know you get you get Burnley in your first your first one you know but we've we've played teams where we've we've not given a good enough account of ourselves in the past you know um, I, I still think Apollon were there for the taking and we could have done them. Um, you know, you just—it's just a case of you know you need to up the levels when you get to these teams, and you know, no chance of even thinking about looking past Rijeka at all. Larnaca again—it could have been so so much more difficult for us. These sides are are beatable. Uh, you know, it's not like we've been drawn against one of these you know, fantastic you know European royalty kind of names. You know, they'll 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 be decent. They'll know how to play football. They'll be very good. As will as will Rijeka. You know, they'll no. That's they're not going to be they're not going to be mugs either. Uh, but if you know, if we can do what we you know what we do well is we can play football we can move the ball quickly we can take chances we've got a striker who can't stop scoring at the moment uh, then we've got every chance of getting into that QR four. Listen, there's no doubt it's going to be tricky, uh, Mark. But if, beforehand, if you were offered the opportunity to play a team that uh, we'd beaten a few years ago. Uh, and then the team that finished fifth in the Belgium league and only qualified because the cup winner has got to uh, find out for match fixing, you'd have taken it, <laughs> wouldn't you? You'd have bitten the hands off. Yeah, def- I didn't know that about Ghent. But um, yeah, yeah. That, when you saw the, the potential pairings, like this one stuck out. But in saying that, I wonder if there's a podcast in Belgium and a podcast somewhere in Cyprus discussing that, yeah, yeah, we want Rijeka or we want Aberdeen. That, that's the two that we want. When the draw came out for Rijeka, I was kind of a bit disappointed. You want to play someone new. You want to play someone exciting. You want, you want it to be winnable. And I think Rijeka is winnable. Those two that we're talking about, I also think are winnable. I agree with Martin uh, Apollon. We could have beaten Maribor. I think we should have beaten Kairat. We've kind of had chances, but but maybe shot ourselves in the foot. But um, yeah, they're definitely winnable, and but they should be difficult too. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we can win them. Okay, let's end on that dangerous note of optimism. Hey, <laughs> uh, thank you very much to my guest tonight, Mark Elway. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And to Mark Clinis. Always a pleasure, never a chore, Richard. Right, we'll be back unless we do something ridiculously good uh, in Croatia on Thursday. We'll be back after the St. Mirren game, St. Mirren on Sunday, to round up the seven days, find out whether Scott McKenna is indeed still in red, and see whether we've made a, taken a big step forward to that possible qualifying round four tie against either Larnaca or Ghent. So, until then, come on you Reds. 